This is a Voice in the Wilderness podcast channel. Today's topic is going to be sublimity. But first, a prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Ghost, I am. Amen. All that I am, all that I have, all that I do shall be consecrated to the service, honor, and glory and exaltation of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, the Sacred Heart of Jesus, and the Heavenly Kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray, Immaculate Heart of Mary, please pray for us. Sacred Heart of Jesus, please pray for us. Amen. Now, I previously touched, uh, pretty sure it was my original podcast, the, the concept of sublimity. Now, I could give you a dictionary definition, but the problem with the dictionary definition would be that it was, would be written for modernists by modernists. I'm sorry, for modernists by modernists. So it would lose its distinctive concept. Now... Even you, you, you can't even use cat, uh, quote unquote Catholic resources that you pick up off the net because those, like as I've said before, probably 98% of that garbage is Vatican II. And as we know, Vatican II sect is modernism disguising itself as Catholicism. But I read an article written by the, uh, appears to be some sort of blog. It's called RomeOfTheWest.com. I'll put the, the title of it in the show notes. It was written in 2011. Um, my guess would be it's just a guess because uh, I'm not really familiar with this particular blog. And we're talking, it appears to be over 11 years old. Um, it's probably some sort of neo-Catholic blog. In other words, they, uh, being, being the moderns that they are, they decry the modernist times, yet still recognize Vatican II is legitimate. So, but they, in this, in this article about sublimity, the author kind of touched on the philosophical meaning of sublimity and sublimity in the art. And um, one of the authors that he quotes is a guy called Longinus, and he's saying he wrote in like the first century um, A.D., now, I'm not claiming to have the widest or deepest uh, knowledge when it comes to Catholicism. Uh, I, but I have been swimming in Catholic waters for over 20 years now, and I've yet to come across anybody talking about this author named Longinus now, obviously, it is not the same Longinus, the Roman centurion, who was at the, the crucifixion of Jesus and was so moved that he became a Christian and got martyred himself. Um, apparently, this was a different Longinus that probably wrote, you know, well after uh, Jesus' crucifixion. But they called him a Platonist. Now, when I hear the word Platonist, my radar goes up. 
Bishop Sanborn, who I believe has forgotten more about philosophy than most people will ever know, has, I think I mentioned this in, in a previous episode, he, he's, he's done a brutal takedown of Plato. He's absolutely taken a, a, a takedown on Plato. Uh, my understanding is St. Thomas Aquinas did not have the highest regard for Plato. He thought that he was a shoddy philosopher. My understanding is that St. Thomas Aquinas, his, his favorite philosopher, if such a thing can be said, of such a great mind, was um, Aristotle. Anyway, the, the whole, oh, one other thing, uh, a friend of mine that I have who said of a contest, he's, he's highly into philosophy and he absolutely despises Plato. So when somebody mentions a Platonist in their article, that just, that, that just, uh, as a famous YouTuber once said, gets my noggin a joggin. Um, I, you know. Oh. It just, um, if, you, if you're taking Plato as a philosophic guide, you're... I would say you're probably making a big mistake, which is ironic too, because this person in this article was saying in order to understand sublimity, you have to have orthodox faith. <laughs> I have to say that's absolutely true. That's absolutely true. I think I've said it myself, but... I think in the context where he's saying orthodox faith, is he saying the Vatican II Church, which obviously, you know, is not the orthodox faith. Otherwise, you wouldn't have said Vacantism. But, um, so. In this article, he also talks about the degradation of language. And <clears throat> he's absolutely right to point it out. However, the degradation of language began with the Protestant revolt. I mean, like a snowball rolling downhill... It got bigger and bigger and picked up more speed as it got got closer to our time and place. But, you know, um, if I were going to describe Luther as a theologian, I would say that he's a literary... Um, shoot, I had the word off on the tip of my tongue. Um, I think I'll use the term sophist. Because my understanding is the term sophist means that you're, you're pretending, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to fool people into thinking that your ideas or the topic that you're writing about or your ideas about a topic are more... Um, lofty and more truthful than they are. 
So I would say Luther, you know, as obviously as a theologian, uh, was literary sophist in the sense that he got raised with the truth. He got taught the truth. And when that truth failed to do what he wanted it to do, he decided to break away from the truth and form his own religion. So, that's why I say it started in the Reformation. But if you read the history of heresy in the Catholic Church, that's all, I, I would be so bold as to say, all heretics, all heretics are theological sophists. Because they're attacking the ultimate truth and trying to supplant it with their distorted and um, corrupted view of the truth. So anyway, when this author, um, like I said, he did an uh, article on uh, sublimity. He was talking about how... Um, He talked about how um, how uh, how words have been degraded. Now, you don't need to be a English uh, an English major from, say, an Ivy League diploma mill to understand that just within the past sixty years, um. That language has been degraded. It, it was getting degraded well before 60 years ago. So yes, he was absolutely right that the that language had been being degraded. But see, that's that is the curse of modernism. And I know I seem like I'm straying off topic. I promise you this will this will hit Pater. If you can, if you can stand, you know, listening to something more than thirty seconds. So anyway, um, every every aspect, every aspect of culture and society has been degraded since. The, since the Protestant revolt. And the very simple explanation is, and I don't care what you 300 IQ takers have to say about this, is because when Martin Luther revolted from the Catholic Church and split Christendom up into various factions, now, for those of you a little more historical minded, you would probably say, well, this was happening uh, beyond Luther's time before. That is true. However, when Luther broke with the Catholic Church, that was the nail in the coffin of Christendom. That was absolutely the nail of not just, not just of Christendom, but of Christian society. Period. Christian society and Christian culture. And anybody who's ever read the uh, the fable Pandora's box, you know, once the box is open, there's no shutting it again. There's, there's, you know, there. The, as I said, you know, um. There, there's no going back to yesterday. What has happened has happened. And um, we live in the times that we live in for a very specific purpose. But um, I would absolutely say that the degradation of culture and society, which means art, poetry, philosophy, um, Manners, theology, 
all got degraded. I mean, I think I'm going to throw this in here and then I'm going to move on. I mean, I've talked about in a previous podcast how after the Protestant Revolt, the uh, College of Cardinals was split. I think this, yeah, this was after the Council of Trent. The Council of Trent was in the mid to late 1500s. So shortly thereafter, the College of Cardinals got busted up into two sects, not sects, two factions. One faction um, wanted to make peace with the world and said, oh, we need to get with the times. And the other uh, faction was like, no, the world can go pound sand. We have a mission to do. But the fact that there were cardinals within the College of Cardinals that were saying, oh, we need to make peace with the world. We need to play kissy face with them and didn't get run out on a rail should tell you that already the Catholic Church was starting in decline. Because I guarantee you, if any cardinal had prior to the Protestant Revolt, had so much to say, well, you know, uh, we should just, uh, we should modernize the Catholic Church. That guy would be lucky if he wouldn't be rotting in some monastery somewhere in the middle of a mosquito and vermin-infested island uh, eating bread and water. But, you know, not long after the Council of Trent... Which, as far as I'm concerned, um, is one of the highest points of Catholicism in the modern era that we're going to ever reach. I mean, Pope St. Pius X was, is a saint for a reason, but unfortunately, in my opinion, Pope St. Pius X was the one guy in a in, um, in a foxhole doing the rearguard action while the rest of the army was retreating. Okay? You gotta remember, man died in 1914. Okay? Vatican II was ratified in 1965. So we're talking what? Uh, 1914, 10 years... About 50, 50 years. Him and Leo, uh, Pope Leo the Thirteenth. Pope Leo the Thirteenth, I, in my opinion, I think he gets more crap than he deserves. He deserves a lot of credit. I mean, after all, the man did reintroduce Thomism back into the Catholic seminaries. There's a lot of things that I could talk about on that issue. But I just want to ask, how do you go from Thomism being a staple of every theologian worth his salt prior to the Reformation to being practically forgotten in the 19th century? How does that happen? And I'm a little confused. How does that happen? Well, I'll tell you how it happens. When you get a bunch of modernists and they infiltrate your church, you know, and the only difference between present era and the 19th century is, is now the modernists are loud and proud and out there and uh, they're doing what they used to do in secret in broad daylight. And people are like, eh, don't care. Don't care. Yeah, all right. Yeah, so what? So, so a pagan statue got rolled into to, uh, to, uh, St. Peter's Basilica. Eh. But that's not the purpose of this episode. What I'm saying is, he, he made mention in his article, and then I am going to move on, 
was how modern day people do not understand the concept of sublimity and don't even have the vocabulary to talk about. Now, in this regard, I would say that he's erroneous. Anybody who's listened to what I've said in the past knows everybody after the Protestant, uh, Protestant revolt is a modernist in one form or another because our culture and society is modernist. Okay? The only way that you could not be a modernist if you were born prior to the Protestant revolt and grew up in the height of Christendom and that culture and society. Otherwise, you are a modernist. So he has a faulty understanding from the get-go. So I'm not going to belabor that point. What I will say, though, is um, he's right about the degradation you know, <clears throat> about people being dumbed down and being programmed. He's right about that. But um, I wouldn't say it's society-wide. I mean, I would say it's the bulk of society and culture, but it's not total and complete. You know, there are some people who have actually read something than a comic book. There are some people whose concept of art is not a video game. There are some people whose vocabulary is higher than that of a demented uh, freshman from the school district of Los Angeles present day. Now, those people are getting harder and harder to, uh, to find, but they're out there. And Lord willing, Lord willing, I'm hoping to reach those people because, like I said, I don't claim to have any personalized knowledge or any of that, but if, if the Catholic... Uh, society and culture on earth is to be remade. In other words, if it is, if, if, if the end of the world is, is not like eminent, but we need, you know, we need to kick a little uh, Masonic Satanist butt and, you know, have a restoration of the true Catholic religion, we need as many people who um, who have sublime ideas. I'll say that much. Sublime ideas. Now, to me, sublimity And I'm living proof that modernism degrades a human being because I have the concept in mind of what I'm trying to say. Unfortunately, I don't have the intellect to express it in clear and concise terms, so I'll do the best I can. To me, sublimity, first of all, is God's reality. What is God's reality? God's reality is God's law on earth. In other words, God's truth. If you drop something, it will fall. There are two sexes. Um, there's a night and day. Okay? Things that as far back as 50 years ago, used to be taken for granted, and now everything's up for debate. But what I'm saying is, is God's truth is sublimity. And it, His truth is expressed 
in his one true church. And for the sake of uh, new listeners, I'm going to spell it out. It's the pre-Vatican II Council Catholic Church. Okay? I'm not sure if I've done an episode yet on this particular podcast channel where um, I've explained how the Catholic Church that normies think is the Catholic Church is not really the Catholic Church. Um, if I, I, I don't think I have, but it's in it's in my original podcast. Um, if you're interested, you'll find it. But sublimity is the beauty of the truth, the ultimate truth, which is God's truth. You know, there is a reason. Why it is a heresy to say that there are 50,000 different routes to God. There are not. You know. And even, even if I took a, a middle schooler who was, you know, average intelligence by today's standards and gave him a New Testament and said, okay, read through the New Testament and tell me where it shows you or tells you where um, you could take, you know, you could take any route to get to God. And if the kid was honest, he'd say, after reading it, he'd say, well, I didn't see anything like that. It said the opposite. But and you know, thank you, Mother Mary and Lord Jesus. What what a lot of people call modernism or modernists is just basically and I think I'm gonna do an episode about this. It's just basically you're not pr- practicing your faith. You're not you're not practicing it, and you're not trying to live it. Because I, I would I would I would say in order in order to be. This is this is the thing. You don't even need to be a saint to get this concept. Having a love for truth itself, the ultimate truth, doesn't necessarily make you a saint. It just means you're on the right path. You know. But Anyway, so I was talking about sublimity, and I'm going to stick to my topic. So, sublimity is the love of truth itself, which, as I said earlier, is God's truth. It is, and part, part of the beauty of God's truth is the beauty of expressions, be they artistic, literary, philosophic, or theological. Here's the point, though. In order to be sublime, they must comport, and if you don't know what that means, look it up. I'm sick of holding you guys' hands. It must comport itself to God's truth. Okay? Any deviation from God's truth mars the beauty of the whole. Okay? 
It doesn't, you know, we, we as moderns, we tend to try to make things more complicated than they need to be. Honestly speaking, I, I don't understand the mindset. Why make something more complicated than it has to be? You know, but I suspect that the reason why things are, people make things more complicated than they have to be is so that, um, if you, if you, if you've got a confused person running around, they're easier to mislead and they're easier to, to, to lead around by the nose. If somebody doesn't know what the actual truth is, if you tell them the sky's purple and, you know, you and your buddies are running around saying, oh, the sky's purple, man. The sky, you know, the, the confused people are going, what color's the sky? Uh, purple. Where'd you hear that? Well, so-and-so said it, so-and-so. And one of them was, one of them was a philosopher and the other one was a climate scientist. So they got to know what they're talking about, man. So, yeah, I, I think that they're, you know, part of it, a part of making things more complicated than they have to be, that's, that's part of the plan, the Masonic Satanist plan. But part of it is just being a modern. You know, um, we, we have to, you know, we have to make things more epic and more... Um, Oh, more earth-shattering than they have to be. I, you know, here's the here's what I find amusing: the things that we're trying to make epic, you know, so important. Oh, it's earth-shattering. Have nothing to do with God's truth. Nothing, nothing at all has nothing to do with God's truth. His ultimate truth. And meanwhile, you know, uh, Satan's merry little sock puppets, the Masons, are busy degrading the... <laughs> they started in Vatican II, obviously, well, actually prior to Vatican II, but, you know, once they took the reins of power, it really kicked in, as it usually does in these instances. But they're, they're, they're busy destroying any abuse of... Uh, Beauty and truth left. Also, beginning to that in another episode, either. Uh, I'm sorry, two. My bad. So, if you look, I ain't gonna lie, on my Pinterest, I have used, or I'm sorry, not have, I do use modernist imagery. And I ain't gonna lie, I, I pick the images that I like. Now, could these images be compared to, to some of the uh, Catholic artists of the Reformation era? Heck no. I wouldn't even make the comparison. Okay? But... Um, some of the Catholic art after the Protestant revolt and I'll say up until a certain point in the 19th century is some beautiful artwork. I'm particularly fond of the artist James Tizat. He's French. I thought he was a Protestant, but... Um, I think I was mistaken. I think he might have actually been uh, Catholic. But it's, it, some of this is, is very sublime, very beautiful. But, you know, to live in the time that we do and expect imagery from, say, a uh, Friar Angelo, you know, Renaissance era, 
or a James Tizot or Tizot of the 19th century. That's, it's it's you know it's like ranting and railing against modernism. You're you're railing against something that isn't coming back and you can't change. So take the beauty and the the truth never changes, but take the beauty where you can get it and use it, you know, to hopefully move people in the right direction of the ultimate truth. That's just my two cents on the matter. Um, you know, <laughs> one of the things that made me laugh in that article that I read on that particular blog was he was like, well, oh, moderns don't, don't have a large vocabulary. Which, as I said earlier, is kind of true, but um, coming up, coming up in the 70s, 80s, 90s, I have never been told that I had a 10 cent vocabulary. Now, I'd been told that I had a Mr. Know It All attitude. In fairness, I probably did. Did. Trying to get away from that. Trying to be humble. But I'd never been told I had a 10-some vocabulary. Just in the recent past two years, that's been a thing. And the thing of it is, is anybody who's listened to my content know, knows that I'm not a pretentious person. I'm the very opposite of pretentious. And I'm not throwing around words to impress people because honestly, I don't care. <laughs> I, I toss around those words because I may not know how to pronounce them correctly, but I know what they mean. You know, so I use words that I'm familiar with. Like I said, I may massacre the pronunciation, but I know what they mean. And I think part of the whole thing about, well, that's a 10 cent word. It's just modern's way of trying to, when you use a word that they don't understand, um, Part of it's pride, but part of it too is is they think that you're trying to put on airs because you're using words that they don't understand. One time I would like to see a person, well, you're using a 10 cent word. Well, if you don't know what the word means, you have a cell phone, why not ask what it means? Then you'll know the word. I, I would just like to see somebody say that. That, that would be fun. <laughs> Watching that person's head explode. <sighs> what? How can you say that? But, as I said, part I would say part of sublimity is objectivity. And objectivity means it never changes. Okay? A mountain is a mountain. A, a valley is a valley. A river is a river. An ocean is an ocean. Stars and planets are stars and planets. The sun is the sun. It never changes. That's objective. So I would say sublimity, in the true sense of the term, is objective. In beauty sense of the term, because um, literary and artistic and philosophical standards 
are subject to the currents of culture and society, I would say the true beauty is objective. True beauty is objective, but on a personal individual level, meaning we as individuals, and we're all different, it's subjective in that means too. Meaning, you know, what I might find beautiful, you, you might find to be kitsch. Yeah, I think that I pretty much covered what I mean by sublimity. So, in closing, I do appreciate you listening. I care about you. I pray for you all. And I'd like to see as many people get to heaven as possible. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your time and patience. Have a good day. God bless you. Bye-bye.